All right, I've got a message I want to share with you today. I want to get into it because it is 5 till 12. This time check brought to you by Clarkson Jeweler, your favorite local hometown jeweler. So I want to bring that to you. Um, I want to share a message. It's simply entitled, It's Not Too Late. It's Not Too Late. And last week when Pastor Gary was speaking, this thought was rolling through my spirit the whole time that he was preaching. It had been rolling through my heart before he, he, he got here to speak. Uh, many of you were here about four weeks ago. I was preaching that particular week, and I made a statement in the middle of the message. How many of you have ever said something, and it was good enough that you knew you didn't come up with it? You know what I'm talking? You're like, you say, you're like, oh, I had to quote somebody that I read one time and forgot about. Or maybe divinely, God just used you in that moment. Have you ever said, well, if he could use a donkey in the Old Testament, he can use me, right? So, and so I had this moment, I'm preaching, and I'm like, delay is not denial. And I said that, and Matt and Mary Mitchell were on the front row, and I watched Mary punch Matt, which Mary tends to do when something really kind of hits her. When it hits her, she wants to hit her husband, and it doesn't seem right, but that happens. And then, you know, I've got a Louisiana contingent up here in Amen Corner, and Jack goes, oh, ho, ho. I'm like, I got like a oh, oh, oh from Jack, or to go, oh, oh, right? I'm like, that, I'm like, that was, and then, I'll tell you what took it over the top. I got home from church later. I checked Facebook. Joseph Papkin quoted it. Pastor Brad said, delay is not dilemma. I'm, uh, d d uh, denial. Excuse me, delay is not denial. I'm like, wow, this is, that was, that, was, that was good stuff. That was a timely word. And then Pastor Gary showed up last week, and what was the title of his message? Delay is not denial. I'm like, okay, the Lord's obviously speaking something to many of us in this room because some of us have been hanging on for promises for a while that haven't happened yet. Or we're going through a season that just, you feel it's like the season's supposed to be shifting by now. It's, it's like when you're ready for fall and it got hot again. And you're like, it's supposed to be shifting, but it hasn't shifted yet, okay? So some of you are in that moment, and the Lord wants to encourage you today that today it's not too late. Now, if, if you've ever worked with a project manager, you know there are times that the project manager has to bring the key players in again and encourage them that they're going to be able to accomplish the deliverable for their, for their client, and they're going to be able to do it without heroic efforts. The pro, they bring them in, they say, listen, we had the energy at the beginning, we've had a couple of delays, but it's okay, we had put some lag time in, we'd prepared a couple of moments, we're going to be fine, our critical path has not been altered, we're going to be able to go forward and get this done and rally the troops together. There are times that coaches do the same thing. Teams getting beat up in the first half, just like in the first, or in the, by the end of the Cardinal baseball game yesterday, did you notice that they gave up two touchdowns and a field goal? We lost to the Dodgers. The Dodgers played football, and we played baseball yesterday. They scored 17 runs, two touchdowns and a field, and that's in baseball. That should never even happen. Now, and I'll guarantee you that the manager pulls the team in today and he says, guys, we win tonight. We're right back even in the wild card. Everything's fine. Plenty of games left. We've come this far. There's times you have to rally the troops and say it's not too late. Let me remind, any baseball fans in the house? All right, so how many of you have fond memories of 2011 when the Cardinals won the World Series? 
Do you happen to remember on August the 24th, they were 10 and a half games back for the wild card? In those days, in those days, back in, in aught 11, all right, in those days, we didn't have two wild cards. We only had one. Who held the wild card in front of them? Do you remember? The Atlanta Braves. Ten and a half games ahead of the Cardinals. On September 1st, when you look back statistically, they had a 4.3% chance of making the playoffs. But on the second to last day of the year, they tied in record with the Atlanta Braves. And on the last day of the year, we were set up to play the Houston Astros, who were struggling that year. And Atlanta had to close by playing the Philadelphia Phillies, who had the best record in the National League. And you know what happened? Chris Carpenter went out, threw a two-hit shutout in the launching pad that, pad that is Houston, and we won eight to nothing. And then the players went into the locker room and watched as the Phillies beat the Atlanta Braves. And on the last day of the season, the Cardinals guaranteed their position in the playoffs, beat the Phillies, beat the Brewers, beat the Texas Rangers. Game six, David Freeze. How many of you? You'll never forget it. World Sim Series champions. 11 and 11. Beth and I were in Minneapolis, Minnesota during the World Series. Board of Regents meetings at North Central University. We were staying at this really nice hotel. I feel horrible for the people next to us. When the Cardinals tied it in the eighth inning and we screamed and went crazy in the room. And then when we gave up runs in the ninth inning and we screamed and went crazy in the room. But we tied it in the bottom of the ninth, and we screamed, and we went crazy in the room. By the 10th inning, our neighbors were beating on our walls for us to stop being those people. I called the front desk. I apologized, but I didn't change my behavior because in the 11th, we won that game. We were jumping up and down and yelling. How do you know God's good? I mean, that has nothing to do with baseball, right? Except for me, because in 87, I was at North Central as a freshman when the Cardinals lost to the Minnesota Twins. I was in that stinking city when the city was celebrating. And in 2011, God said, I'm giving it back. <laughs> giving it back. What the Twins stole from you. The Rangers are handing back to you. How many you know God uses Texas Rangers? He uses them, right? It's incredible stuff. And why do I bring all this up? Well, one, because I'm hoping that we can do it again this year. Uh, but probably more apropos, because in the natural, we face challenges, we face struggles, and we encourage each other that it's not over. How much more when it comes to the promises of God in the supernatural? I've got three thoughts I'm going to share today that the promises of God, he will step out, he will step in, and he will do exactly what he promised he would do. It's not too late. Let's look at them quickly. Number one, it's not too late to experience God's promises. Have you ever made a promise to your children and you made the promise earlier than you meant to because they drove you crazy waiting for the promise to be fulfilled? I, when when uh, Pastor Josh and Haley were getting ready, they did not tell their three sons that they were going to Disney World until the last possible moment. Because as Pastor Josh said, Gabriel would drive me crazy. 
And yet, there are times that you're like, we've got a surprise coming. Is it today? Is it today? Is it today? Levi went through a stage where every morning he woke up and he said, it's my birthday. (laughs) See, my kids are old enough, I can't tell their stories now, so I tell Josh's stories. (laughs) Levi would get up, it's my birthday. And they're like, can you imagine beginning every day with that kind of anticipation? It's my birthday. But also, that disappointment. Not today, buddy. Oh, but tomorrow, right? Honestly, some things work that way in the spirit. God gives you a promise, and we immediately say, right now. But some of those promises are for next year or for a decade. He's letting you know, not only am I doing a good work in your life right now, but my promises are going to follow you all the days of your life. Maybe even more, they're going to help guide you to where I want you to go because I'm not finished with you whether you're 15 or 55 or 95. I have promises that are yet to be fulfilled in your life. Let's look at the verse together. The author of Hebrews says it this way. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, him being God, not him being Abraham, Um, He swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. I love this. Um, How many of you in elementary school, if you ever told somebody something and your friend, did they ever say something like, do you swear? You're like, man, you know what? We're going to do this after school today. Do you swear? Or did you ever do a pinky pinky promise? Right? You kind of do that kind of stuff. You're wanting validation, You just made a statement that's really hard for me to believe. Man, I made a three-point shot yesterday. It's the first time I got the ball that far. Do you swear? I do. Whoa, he swore. It like raises the level. What's so funny about it, if I'm telling you the promise, and then you're asking me to swear on it, how does that validate the promise? You're asking me to swear on it because you didn't believe me in the first place. Right? Right? But that's different with God. As a matter of fact, God's word in this passage teaches that God views it as two unchangeable qualities. First of all, God says, when I give you a promise, it's solid. Secondly, when I swear that the promise I've given you is solid, you have another quality. I swore on the promise that I made. He wants you to know you can trust me and the promise, and you can trust that I swear the promise will be fulfilled. Pastor Brad, it seems a little bit like a circle. It is. The Lord's trying to help us realize he won't fail any of his words. How do you know the story of Abraham, or at least portions of it? He was called Abram, lived in a foreign land, family worshiped foreign gods. The Lord speaks to him, says, hey, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you many descendants. How many children did Abraham and Sarah have at the time? Goose egg. They didn't have any. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you many descendants. And, and everybody on earth is going to be blessed through you. How many of you have a friend that they have a little high and mighty opinion of themselves? Can you imagine? You didn't have to raise your hand so quickly. Right? You, you don't have to be so quick with that. But that, we, all, we all have them. We all have them. Can you imagine Abraham coming up to his accountability partner? Hey, I, I told you to be praying with me. I felt like I've been hearing God lately. And before, I know it was the Lord. At least I think it was the Lord. He spoke to me and he said, he's going to make my name great. He's going to give me many descendants and the whole world's going to be blessed through me. And you'd be like, man, you, you really, you need to humble yourself. 
You know that, you know, pride's the beginning of destruction here, buddy. You're really thinking a little bit too higher of you. Abraham, you spent too much time out in the scorching sun with too many sheep. You're, you're not thinking right. But he received a promise from God. Now, how many know the promise from God was built on God, not on Abram? It was built on God. So let me remind you, this is kind of wild stuff. Let's say that, I don't know, let's just, let's just pick a family. Let, let's pick Jack and Bev. They're up here on the front. They're easy. They're right here. We can use them. And, and, right, and, and, and old, as, as their son said, and old. So it, Abraham and Sarah right here before us. All right, so, <laughs> so we should have done like a living sermon today. I didn't even think of it. We could have all wore schmocks and, you know, had a staff and the whole bit. But can you imagine not having any children, and the Lord gives you a promise, and you both believe it? You're like, we heard from the Lord, and we leave home. And we start journeying to a promised land that he said, I'm going to show you where I'm taking you, but you're not quite sure where you're going yet, but you know the Lord's in it. And now we're a year, two, five, eight, ten years into this, and you still haven't had the child and Bev looks at Jack. This is hard to believe, but Bev looks at Jack, and she says, Honey, we gotta, God said he's going to give us many descendants. It hasn't happened yet. I'm going to give you my servant, and I want you to go ahead and be with her, and we'll build a family through her. And Jack goes, Okay, babe. Sounds great. Now, I notice, ladies, their, their faces are getting red even as I'm illustrating the point. They would, and my wife said, it would never happen. Amen. My eyes only for you, all right? I get it, okay? But the thought, God gave the promise. Abraham's a man of faith. We all know it. You remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons? One of them, so are you. Head up, head down, turn around, sit down. Remember that song? Okay, Abraham, and, and, but because he's a man of faith, it doesn't mean he's perfect, it doesn't mean he gets it right all the time. Sarah was a woman of faith. It doesn't mean she got it right all the time. She gives her maidservant. Abraham willingly receives. He sleeps with the servant, and they have a son. Now, I love that God said Ishmael is going to be strong. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to make a mighty nation out of him because God takes our moments, and he uses them for the miraculous. So I love that. But it doesn't change the fact that Abraham and Sarah got out of order with what God was doing. Have you ever got out of order? When the Lord's given you a promise and you start trying to figure out how to make it happen because it hasn't come through on your timetable yet. How about this one? How gorgeous is Abraham's wife that they're traveling through this region, vagabond travelers, they're traveling and and at that time, if a king saw a beautiful woman within his, his region, if she wasn't married, he could take her for his wife. It was just one of the kingly benefits. She's gorgeous. I want her to come to my place. How gorgeous is she? Abraham and Sarah are traveling through this king's area. He sends for Sarah. And Abraham says to his wife, hey, tell the king that you're my sister so that he won't kill me to take you. I want to live. Here's this man of faith. This man of faith. Hey, babe, tell the king you're my sister. Husbands, how many of you would receive the, the hand extended of the Lord upside your face? 
If you say, and how many of you would deserve it? So the king takes Sarah into his home. Thank God he hadn't slept with her yet. Because everybody within his palace starts getting sick. They're all getting sick. He's like, we're under a curse. What's going on? Send for that brother. Send for Abraham. Abraham comes in. He's like, hey, man, Sarah's gorgeous, and I knew you would take her. I was worried for my life. I told you that she was my sister. I guess technically, in a way, she kind of is, and he starts talking about family, and the next thing you know, you find out Abraham's his own grandpa. Remember that song? And he literally fabricates a story because he's worried about his life. And the king goes, you would have brought destruction on my people. Take your wife and get out of here. How many of you wish people would learn from their mistakes? Guess what Abraham did? He did it again. Now, she was 90 years old. I'm thinking, how beautiful is this 90-year-old woman? Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe I, 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 some, she, Something's working right for a 90-year-old woman to still turn the eyes of the king. Ladies, can I get an amen on that? Something's still working right. You know what Abram wasn't power enough, powerful enough to do? He wasn't powerful enough to break the promises of God. Because God's promises weren't dependent upon Abraham. God's promises were dependent upon God. Look in chapter 6, verse 19. If we took the time to read all of this, I'll just give you the context. The author says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. What's the hope? That God gave a promise, and then he swore by himself he would keep it. And that is a hope that anchors my soul firm and secure, and it lets me enter into the sanctuary behind the curtain. Some imagery to say, I get to come into the holy place with God. What is my hope? My hope's in nothing less than Jesus' love, his blood, and righteousness. What's my hope? That God is everything that he said he is, and he'll do everything that he said he would do. What is my hope? That God is not a man that he should lie right? What is my hope? God will do it. He promised it. He said it. I believe it, and I'll stand on it. I'll receive it. Listen, I know it takes longer. It usually does take longer, but if he's given you a promise, hold on to the hope. Don't let go. He's going to do everything that he said he would do. Second thought is this, It's not too late to discover God's destiny for you. This might be where we just end up today. It's not too late to discover God's destiny for you. Look in Exodus chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. We're going way back. We've already talked about Abraham. So why not talk about a few of his descendants, Moses and what's this guy's name? Do you remember? Aaron. In the Hebrew, it's Aaron. We've got to make sure we get that right. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, names are a big deal. Finnegan Asher, that name carries meaning. And I know there are other things that this family is still praying over their son. And yet those are some things that in studying this week, that when I pray for Finnegan, I will be speaking in prayer those things over his life. Names carry meaning. How many of you know, never name your your child Beelzebub. You just don't do it and then go, I wonder why they're so devilish. Just don't don't go there. There's no reason to do it. Moses, do you you know what it means? Do you know what the name Moses means? It means drawn out. I, I think it's interesting. Obviously, 
His parents named him what they felt like they were supposed to. And yet, look how we see that in his life over and over again. Um, at the time he was born, the Pharaoh had an edict that every male uh, born to the Jewish people was to be, was to be thrown in the Nile River. Um, the, the Egyptians were, at that time, they were concerned that the population of Israel, that they could rise up against them. And so they're like, let's slow this thing down. Let's, let's drown some of these babies. And it said that Moses' mom knew that Moses wasn't an ordinary child. Now, there's two things that come to mind here. For those of you that feel like you have ordinary children, you're allowed to drown them. Because everybody else drowned their children, but Moses' mom said he wasn't ordinary. He was extraordinary. So for all of you, you're like, man, my child's so ordinary. Just take him to the river. Move on. There's no... No! There's no, there's no ordinary children. When I read that, it's like she recognized that he wasn't ordinary. I'm like, who would ever say their child was ordinary? I, you never show up. I, I'm a pastor. I've got to go see a lot of babies after they've been born and hug mom and dad. I've never grabbed their baby and went, oh, ordinary. He is so ordinary. Congratulations. You don't do that. There's promise, there's miracle, there's future, there's hope, there's legacy, there's all. The, how many of you know there's not an ordinary child? They're all extraordinary. Usually if you have a mom, uh, the moms from both sides of the family, grandmas from both sides of the family in there right after the child's born, not, not only are they saying they're not ordinary, they're already claiming who the child looks more like. Have you been in that moment? You're like, please meet my child. He looks just like your grandfather. Really? Your grandfather's blue with a cone head? Really? That's what grandpa looks like, right? We immediately start trying to, because there's no ordinary children. And Moses' mom said, he's not ordinary. We got to protect him. She risked her life, to, and all the other Hebrew ladies could have as well, but she did. She ends up putting her son in a basket, and rather than drowning him in the Nile, she floats him in the Nile, which you could go, wow, that's a step of faith. She wraps him up with a little blanket, and the Pharaoh's daughter is at the banks of the Nile with some of her people, and she sees this basket, and she's like, hey, go get that, and she opens it up. I wonder how many times she told Moses the story, because she raised him for 40 years in her own home. I, I wonder how many times, maybe when he's 15, struggling, 20, not knowing exactly what he wanted to do. I, you're not going to get to be the Pharaoh because you're not naturally born, but there's still a place for you. I wonder if he was struggling. Do you ever have moments where she said, hey, Mo, buddy, listen, you're extraordinary. Your name means drawn out. And when we went and grabbed that basket, I had no idea that we were going to draw a baby out of that basket. I I, had, I didn't know what it was. I just thought it was a longer burger basket somebody wanted to get rid of. And, and, but I, 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 I didn't know what, I just, we drew you out. And if God drew you out of that water, I don't know the whole plan, but he's got a plan for you. Now, I'm not trying to add to the scriptures. I just know that moms talk to their children. My wife was on bed rest for 20 weeks with Emma. She was on bed rest for 23 weeks with Sophia. I remember that Beth was, Beth's body was, 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 was trying to go into labor at around 
I don't know, 18 or 19 weeks, and we rushed to the doctor, and he said, there's nothing I can do. If you give birth to that baby now, the baby's dead. And it was just that calloused. It's one of those impression moments in your life that you remember quite well. You ever had those? He was just that calloused. And I'm trying not to fall apart, and Beth's like, no way. No way. God gave me this baby. I'm not losing this baby. We've worked too hard for my first one, and I'm not going to lose this one. I can't imagine my life without Sophia. Beth said, I'll do whatever it takes. She laid on her left side for weeks to keep that baby. You know how many times that I've walked in when Beth's having the conversation, and hey, guys, please know, you, it's not a mom trying to be manipulative if you've ever had the same conversation. But when you know how hard you had to fight for something you love this much, you'll fight anybody for that someone. There's been times I've walked in and Beth's having a conversation with one of the girls and she's like, listen, God has a plan for you. And I know this is a difficult season, but we fought for you and we believe for you. And when the doctor said it wasn't going to happen, we said, we don't care what you say. Our daughters are going to be healthy. They're going to be fine. They're going to make it. And you made it. And that you didn't just make it so that you could come here and die out. You made it so that you could change the world. You made it because you have a calling. You made it because God has a, a special place in his heart for you. And you're going to make a difference in other people that he loves. There's no ordinary children. Can I get an amen this morning? There's no ordinary children. None of them are. They're all extraordinary. I could just start going down and naming every one of these kids in this youth group. We know them and we love them and the call on their lives and the talents and the gifts that they have. Not one of them are ordinary. These are extraordinary young people. They're amazing. Moses wasn't ordinary. He was drawn out. Then God drew him out of Egypt for 40 years in the wilderness. And he prepared him, and he gave him a wife, and he gave him a son, and he helped him learn what it meant to love a flock in really horrible places as he spent 40 years taking care of sheep under the scorching sun. But he did it. And then the Lord spoke, and he said, go back to Egypt, meet with Pharaoh, and tell him to let my people go. And Moses go, I, I got a problem, I stutter. And the Lord said, well, let me get your brother, A.A. Ron, ready. I'll tell you, you tell Aaron, Aaron will tell Pharaoh and get my, because you were drawn out of the water, you were drawn out of Egypt, you've been drawn out of bondage, now you're going to draw my people out to a land of freedom and promise because I have a plan for them. Names are a big deal, church, they're a big deal. Promises are a big deal, but they don't all happen one week after another. Forty years in between these moments. Can't talk about nepotism. This is not a church growth model. We're in a world of mega churches these days. You got to have the right looking pastor. He's got to be the right age, wear the right clothes, with the right worship leader, and the songs at the right, with the right moment, and everything's timed out. I heard it said one time that if the Holy Spirit didn't show up at a staff meeting lots of times, we don't even invite him into a service because we're so tight with our schedule these days. And we really try to allow time, especially during worship, just for you to enjoy Jesus because he loves you. We don't want to be so tight to a schedule that we can't actually hear from the Holy Spirit. So this is not a church growth model. Moses, senior pastor, associate pastor, his brother, there's nepotism, 83 years old, going to Pharaoh. And by the way, how many times had Moses thrown his staff down on the ground and watched it turn into a snake? Well, before the burning bush experience, never. 
So it's not like he had been out there practicing his miracles. You know, once I get this down where I can bounce that, you know, eventually I'll turn that staff into a unicorn. That'll really get people's attention, right? I'll turn water into blood. He, he accepted what God was calling him to do. Oh, he was reluctant, but he accepted it. And he walked into his divine destiny, a destiny that we can see had been threaded through his entire life from the moment he was born. And he might not have seen it at the time, but we can look back and see it. Some of you are in the same place. People talk about their calling, their mission, their vision, their ministry, their purpose. And you're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I've got to pay bills today. I've got a project that's due by the end of the day, Tuesday at the office. I... How can you even talk about destiny? You know what? Moses could not escape his destiny. And you can't either. You, you can't either. God thinks too much of you, and he thinks too much of the people that you're to impact to let you escape your destiny. I'll just close with a story about a friend of mine. And believe it, how many of you are amazed I'm saying close at 1224? How many know we're having revival if I said close at 12? How many don't believe it, though, until I actually say amen? Okay, all right, you've got history. I get it. So uh, many of you have met my friend Wayne Long. He was here for our anniversary celebration. He's spoken here a few times, my buddy Wayne. And Wayne and Barbara are dear friends of Beth and, and, and mine. And Wayne was my dad's best friend, for those of you that don't know the story. He was my dad's best friend back in Columbia, Missouri. They grew up together. Uh, Wayne went into the Air Force and became an instructor with the FAA. He's also a gifted custom home builder and built homes in Columbia. And I asked him, I, I was visiting with him this week in OKC, and I said, Wayne, I never really heard how you ended up in Oklahoma City. You were a Col in Columbia, they call it Como. I'm like, you were a Como boy, Columbia, Missouri. You were a Como boy. How, how does a Como boy end up in Oklahoma City? And he goes, well, he goes, you know, after the service, after getting out of the Air Force and coming back, um, he said, I developed a small subdivision, 12 houses. He said, I knew that I wanted to build some homes. And he said, the economy in Columbia at the time was kind of tough for that. But he said, I also, he said, you can't do a lot of FAA instructing at the Columbia Regional Airport. He goes, so I applied at KCI, or I looked at a job at KCI, I looked at a job at Lambert International, and, and he said, I don't really know why we chose Kansas City, but we're like, you know, let's just, let's go west, let's go to KC. So they went to KC, and Wayne continued to grow in education while they were there. As a matter of fact, he had to start going down to Will Rogers Airport in Oklahoma City quite a bit for his training as he was developing his field. Um, still loving home building, and they were involved in a pretty large church in Kansas City. And Wayne said he started really feeling an urge in his heart that the Lord was calling him into ministry. So you've got an Air Force veteran, a home builder, an FAA instructor that fills a calling into ministry. Now remember, he does ministry in his life on a daily basis with the people that he touches, but he really felt like the Lord was leading him into more of a vocational ministry and to help lead and equip God's people. So he goes to meet with, how many sometimes you'll set up to meet with your pastor when you'd like a little bit of guidance? So he sets up to meet with his pastor and schedules the meeting. He walks in and he shares what's on his heart. And here's his pastor's response. His pastor says to him, uh, Wayne, you're not called into ministry. 
He goes, God doesn't call 30-year-old men into ministry. He said, you have a wife, you have two boys that you need to be taken care of. He goes, God doesn't call. He said, you're too old to be called into ministry. Now, how many of you, besides wanting to spit right now, how many of you immediately begin to think Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry? How many of you had already done that? You'd already done that. How many of you are thinking, if that guy thought 30 was old, he was a moron? How many of you have thought that? Now, how many, how many think 30 is a little bit old? I mean, it's okay. Okay, Sam, all right, that's okay. In 35 years, you're going to look back and you're going to go, PB was right, 30 is really not that bad. Okay, it's, it's not that bad. Um, so Wayne went home from that meeting a little discouraged, Slightly discouraged, you go to the man of God for advice, and the man of God says, you're too old to be called into ministry. He goes home, and he and his wife talk about it, and they say, you know what? We know what we're feeling in our heart, and we're not going to leave angry, but we're going to leave. Can't be in a, pl- a place where somebody won't even believe in what God's calling us to do, too. And he said, he goes, we just said, you know what? Every time I go down to Oklahoma City for training, I like it down there. Let's go. Now, what does that have to do with today? Well, not a whole lot. I just needed some filler for the end of the message. It's not a TED Talk. You have to have filler at church. No, it really has a lot. I was down there this week with Wayne, and he was driving me around Oklahoma City. Wayne has lived multiple lifetimes in one lifetime. He is, uh, Wayne Long, look it up online, Wayne Long Custom Homes, Custom Homes in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He has built some of the most beautiful homes in Oklahoma City. We're driving through a subdivision that I couldn't even afford to breathe in. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, and he's like, built that one, built that one, built those two, sold that one. And I'm like, they're, they're beautiful. I'm like, man, Wayne, you have built some beautiful houses. I'm like, is it, can I call them a house? He goes, well, they live there. I'm like, beautiful houses. Um, went as far as he could in instructing with the FAA. Still, still gets asked to come and teach because he's so good at what he does. He's also an engineer. Of course, his degree's in engineering. That's where his degree is. Oh, and guess what he did on the side? The church that he and his wife attended, their pastor resigned in some difficulty, and it was going through a hard time. And so... The church, recognizing the gifts in Wayne's life and Barbara's life, asked them to be the interim pastors. And so he took a church that was going through a difficulty. And as I recall, they, it was a small church at the time of about 2,800. And by the end of the year, they were running 3,500. Pastors a church, builds custom homes, teaches with the FAA, has a degree in engineering, Tell you what, that guy in Kansas City missed a partner in ministry. He missed a partner. By the way, they partner with, um, what is it called? One Hope, right? One Hope, if it formerly called the Book of Hope, but it's called One Hope. He's a partner in their ministry. Are you ready for this? You know what their goal is? Small goal. To make sure that every home in the entire world has a Bible in their own language in it. He, he partners with that ministry. So they're, they're not doing much, right? It's not too late to discover God's destiny. 
You could be 30 years old and feeling something in your heart and going, how can I do this? I've already got two kids and I don't know how I can do this. God's placed a destiny on you. His anointing will carry you into everything that he's wants you. Pastor Brad, I'm, I'm 70 years old. I let the best years of my life get away. No, you didn't. The best years of your life are still in front of you. Because God's word says in Haggai that the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So let's not look back and go, I've already wasted too much time. Are you kidding? To the Lord, a day's like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. You wasted a couple hours in the morning. It's time to get started. It's not too late. God will fulfill his promises. It's not too late. You can walk in the destiny that God has for you. If you give me a big amen, I won't even preach the third point. All right, let's start. That, that was horrible. Who, 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 who groaned it? Who was the groan? Was that you? Thanks, Bella. Thank you so much. Amen. amen. Um, I don't want to discourage you. I want to encourage you. You don't have to have all of this figured out yet. But if you know the Lord's stirring you to something more, just saying to him, Lord, I am available for the more. And even making yourself available to other people that you see, I'm not saying they're amazing, I'm just saying other people that you see that are doing more in the kingdom. Maybe it's a Bible study, maybe it's a prayer ministry, maybe it whatever. You're just getting started if the Lord spoke to you and said, you're going to have a prayer movement that's going to change the world, it starts by saying, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll pray for my family every day. I'll pray for my neighbor. And you start that intercession. The next thing you know, you have people coming up to you going, I don't know why. I really felt like I was supposed to ask you for prayer because you've been sowing prayer in the atmosphere. And the next thing you know, God's using you to pray for people. And the next thing you know, ministries are calling you saying, we need prayer covering. Would you and your team pray for us? You just never know what happens when you take that first step. I'll guarantee you, Moses didn't have a clue what all was going to take place. But eventually, he said, okay, God, I'll go. I'll go, and I trust that you're going to set your people free. Abraham and Sarah didn't get it all right, but they believed the promises. You don't have to get it all right, too. God can fix your mistakes. But I pray over you in Jesus' name that every one of you will have the courage to step into what God has for you, to step into it. Don't let the songs, don't let the song, songs just stay in your spirit. Go ahead and begin to strum them out or write them out and let it develop through your life. It's going to change nations. It's going to change nations. Go ahead and write your journal knowing that one day your journal is going to be used to give inspiration and hope and encouragement to others. God's put a gift of writing in your heart. So go ahead and write that journal and know God's going to use you. He's going to use you to touch people's lives. His words are going to come through the words that he uses you to pen. He's going to do that. Go ahead and, and start that relationship to hold a brother or a, a sister accountable. You have a desire for mentorship, but you also have a desire to mentor someone else. Go ahead and, and have the courage to send the text, make the call, begin the connection, 
where mentorship and accountability can happen, learn the process, learn the challenges, and then begin to create a system that other people can duplicate for accountability and mentors. Just go for it. Go ahead and do it. If you believe you're supposed to give millions of dollars into missions, start by writing your first $1,000 check. Go ahead and do it. Don't be afraid of it. Just start stepping into what God has for you. I just pray over you that nothing that God intends would be stolen by the enemy. But every bit of God's purpose and plan and destiny in your life will be fulfilled. I pray you'll prosper as your soul prospers. I pray you'll walk in divine favor and that you will know the voice of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.